Well, good morning. Hey, Jay. Yes. I was just about to say, hey, pray for the stretchers while they come back. Yeah. Oh, you made it. I stayed here. Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Okay. I'm like, that weather was fun yesterday. So I was thinking about it and praying for you guys. So glad you made it. <laughs> I will pray for everybody else, too. Um, no matter. Well, good morning. Hope and pray you all had a good week. Uh, the guy at Trader Joe's was like, I asked how he liked the weather. And he was like, oh, it seemed like a vacation ago when it was 60. He liked that. <laughs> it was a good, a good talk. You know, it's, it's just so fun. There's so many blessings in this life, right? The very, the very air we breathe is just something we, we don't even think about. You know, it's like we can see through it and then we breathe it in and it has oxygen and we expel carbon dioxide, which like feeds the plants and the plants like give off oxygen. It's, it's like an awesome process. It's even the, the very lungs that we have that take in the oxygen, you know, the, the, and the, all the other circulatory systems and everything that work through our body. And even the eyes that we see, the beautiful creation that the Lord has made. You know, I just think about different foods that we enjoy. You know, if you go throughout all of the cultures, there's usually something that resembles like the modern hot pocket, but it's not bad for you. It's not horrid. You know, it's a it's a good version of the hot pocket. But you know, it's like even that, you know, just how there's so much uh, versatility within cultures, but yet there's sameness as well. And it's like we roll in one place at one time and then we kind of got spread somewhere. I think that's in this book, right? Uh, to even the, the different drinks that quench our thirst. There are many blessings in this world. We can enjoy the good gifts of the Lord throughout this world. But we also need to understand that the world, its desires and pleasures, pleasures run against the will and way of the Almighty. Paul talks about it like this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and all unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and foolish, in their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. This world is not as it should be. Things are broken. Things are twisted. Because we, right? Mankind will not honor God as who he is. No, we hold that truth down. I, I like uh, the illustration of it's like holding down a beach ball in a pool. We are, we are willingly suppressing what is plain to us. We, we run from it. We close our eyes to it. And therefore, as Paul states in Romans 1 and then goes on and clarifies through up to Romans 3, we are without excuse. All of us, Jew, Gentile alike, we're all without excuse. 
We cannot tell God there was no proof of him. We cannot say, I saw nothing. No evidence is clearly there. It rings out for us to hear. And this, this was fun. I actually read Psalm 19 before we left to Denver to see some family yesterday. And it really went with God's handiwork and seeing those trees and everything and just his storehouses uh, coming down. It states this in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. It's what we call in theology general revelation, right? This is special or specified, specific revelation, the Bible. The general revelation, the whole earth cries out, there is a God. All of creation lets it be known. But the world, the system of the world suppresses that. We can see that there are worldly cares and the seductive, seductiveness of wealth, that's the word of the day, Miss Marsh. <laughs> the seductiveness of wealth, these things can choke out the word. And then we also see that the, the field is the world, our field, what we're supposed to be in. We hear that there is no benefit for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their life. We see that the world is full of stumbling blocks. And we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. For God so loved the world. We can see that the world loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They don't want the light. They don't want those things. And Jesus offers this. The bread that I will give the life of the world is my flesh. He offers it to the world. We also see that the world is evil. And that if the world hates us, we should be mindful for the fact that it first hated our Lord. Jesus said it to his followers like this. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you do not belong to this world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. We know that in Christ we have amazing peace. But in this world we have trials and tribulations and great sufferings. But take heart, for the Lord Jesus has overcome the world. And then we should also know this as well, that we are sent into the world by the Lord. So that the message would be heard, as Paul states it in Acts, in front of the Oregon. Mars Hill, <clears throat> the people of Athens listening to him, he states this, The Lord has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he designated, having provided proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. It's always so fitting, right? I think of a lot of apologists, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, a lot of other ones, uh, Jay Warner Wallness, and they always like went and like tried to disprove the resurrection it's like, no, it's utter proof. And now they're apologists. They're, they're arguing for the Christian faith out there. You know, and they once were atheists. I, mean, I love that. You know, this is the world that we deal, deal with daily. It's a big pickle. We are affected by the current culture. And we are warned 
on how to deal with it. Now let's uh, go to the go to prayer before we turn in the word. Oh, Father God, we we thank you for the amazing complexity and uniqueness of all of creation of what have people called the privileged planet. This planet that has life, has image bearers upon it that is broken and, and repressing and rebelling against you, but you come. You come to love upon the sinner and to be a ransom upon all of us. And that the whomsoever accepts would be sealed and redeemed and granted entrance into the household. And as we've looked into First John and, and seen just the beauty and the standard and the measuring rods and everything of this amazing household, of all the things we get to do, we know that the world is broken and the flesh and the devil tempt us with the things in the corner. And that temptation is a real thing every single day. And we're so thankful for a great high priest that dealt with it 100% with no sin and can walk with us through all of our struggles, all of our pains, and that we can cast our cares upon him who loves us and that we can know that we can approach the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy in our time of need, Lord. Thank you. Be with us in this time as we study. Rid us of all of our distractions. Rid us of all of our worries and things coming this week, things that happened last week. And help us just fix upon you, Lord, and learn from your word. Thank you for your breathed out revelation to show us who we are and to show us greatly more who you are, a great almighty God that has come to save us. I praise you, Lord, as in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, please uh, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. And we will be in verses 15 through 20 today. This is one of those that I've always kind of looked forward to on you know, studying and, and preaching and just seeing what John is saying here and kind of just going through the context of what Scripture is saying here as well. But John starts here in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye, eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that, that, anti, that Antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they 
<coughs> sorry, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be plain that they, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. John, first and foremost, wants the household, the church, the bride of Christ, to know who they are in Jesus and not fall for what is outside of the household. He wants them to understand the truth, the light, the fellowship, and the hope that is found in Christ. Then he wants them to understand that the world does not offer the same thing. One Bible study tool put it like this. The purpose of 1 John is to promote fellowship, protect holiness, and to prevent heresy, and to provide hope. You can tell that that study tool was written by a pastor who liked alliteration, right? But it sticks in your head. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. John is wanting to hand the church measuring, rod, bleh, measuring rods to walk with on the household rules that we would first and foremost have joy because we have the fact, the truth that the life was made manifest, right? That's what he starts off with, that he bore witness to Christ Jesus. That is our joy. And that we would go on and that we would confess our sin and that we would love one another. <coughs> Excuse me. Right away it sticks out. Excuse me. That all these things we can do. Look at all of these things that we can do. And we can do them unto the Lord. We can live a godly life for him. We can be a workmanship created in Christ Jesus for his glory. But the enemy wants us to look at what the Lord is keeping us from. The question rings in the air, right? Did God really say? The temptation is, is always there, knocking at the door, right? As God told Cain, it means to rule over you. Sin is at the door and it means to rule over you. That is the same knock we have on our door. So how we respond to it matters. John is warning the church in this passage to watch out. A lot of other Bible passages say, keep watch, be watchful, stay alert, right? Verse 15 says it, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. John says it, you know, don't love the world or the things of it. Paul states it like this, do not be conformed to this world. The thought of that. You get a picture of waffle batter, right? You know, by itself, it's all formless. It's gobbledygoo, you know? It's, it's moldable. It's meant to be pressed in. It's meant to be conformed to the waffle maker. John is telling the church, as, as Paul does, don't be pressed into the world's mold. Now be transformed by all of what John has been going through. That in Christ there is joy of an eyewitness. 
that we can stand in the light, that we can confess our sin because we have an advocate that we can live for, not just use, right? You know, I got Jesus so I can sin all the more, right? Paul talks about that in Romans 6, may it never be, may it never be. Let us not think like that, but let us love him and let us love one another. Let us be a part of a household, not of this world. You know, this is a household that is different because we're about being renewed in our thinking, renewed in our minds by the scripture, which is alive, right? The scripture has agency. It's an amazing thing because it can cut through marrow and bone and everything and discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And then by it, we can know the will of God and discern what is right and true and good. But if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And we must choose, right? That's, that's a lot of it. You know, it's always a choice. I always think of Israel being told you can choose either hill. This hill of blessing or this hill of curses. And same as today. We can choose, right? Paul says it like this. You reap what you sow. You can choose. You can choose which hill you want to live on, I guess, right? <laughs> Pitch your tent on, right? Go camping on, reside upon, right? Jesus makes it clear. He states, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then this statement rings out from the Lord as well. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And John is, is telling us to make our choice. Jesus or the world, light or darkness, sin or salvation. He likes drawing big, bold lines. You know, we'll get to more as we go through the book. But he, he likes the Sharpie. He's, he's a Sharpie guy. He's, you know, writing everything down with a Sharpie. This is what it is. There are no gray areas. <laughs> That's good. It's good because it's, it's balm to the soul of what we're going to choose. Are we going to just, you know, look at Israel and, well, they didn't know any better, but I know better. And kind of like, you know, just do our own thing. Or are we going to be about the Lord's thing? I think the failure of history is to look at it and laugh. It's like, no, the failure of history is to look at history and learn. Let's not be like that. It's written down for our instruction that we might not go and sin that we might not tempt the Lord and die like they did in the desert. Let us not fall in love with this present world. Let us hold fast to the true light who has come for us. It's such a beautiful, hopeful picture. Because it's not just a picture, right? It's a truth. It's a reality that Jesus came here. That's what the letter all starts with. As the church, we need to understand that this world cannot give us, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> this world cannot give us life. <clears throat> it only offers death. Let us take heed as the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, James states, know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Yes, we can, we can love the lost, 
but we should not let the world be our master. Verse 16 goes on stating this, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of is from the world. You know, this is the temptation that has been here since the beginning. So it's a good place to go. If you want to turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, Moses writes this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the same thing that Adam and Eve faced. The world offers us fulfillment in our desires of our flesh. That as the fruit of the tree looked good, the world looks good. It looks sleek and shiny. It is not chaos up front, right? No, it's only after we've eaten it does that part appear. The world brings us the desires of our eyes. It comes packaged in something delightful, shiny, right? You know, it's, it's shiny. It looks tasty. It's not a horror movie. No, it's a, it's a meaningful song. Cue the Disney songs, right? They're all there, and they're all full of false teaching. And, you know, I, you know, we watch them, right? You know, and then I'm like, okay, what did that teach? You know, Dad, can we finish the movie first? Yeah, but what did it teach? <laughs> you know, what is it saying? What are those words saying? I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot. The truth is... You know, the, the world states these things, that our, our self needs to be unlocked. That something is needed. But in reality, it's always a monster that is ready to destroy. You know, lastly, it's about our pride of life. It offers this. It offers to make one wise. That apart from God, we could know good and evil decide good and evil and make our own way is the original and the ongoing problem that the Bible points out to us about, about ourselves, right? You know, it's, <coughs> we must turn. We must repent. We must surrender our arms and confess that no special knowledge, no ism, no religion 
but only Jesus can bring us out of the pit that we find ourselves in. You know, this, this mess, this horror, this pain, this hurt, all of it is not from God. God is holy. God is good. God made a world that, yes, has, has choice. But he is about redeeming what we have done. God did not make the broken world. No, he gave us responsibility and a will, and we broke the world and ourselves in the process. Thanks be to God. He comes. He comes to set all things right by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is called out of the world and we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are to make no provision for the flesh. Right? That's, that's the temptation part. You know, not answering the door. Right? Just keep the door locked. Don't, not listening. Right? <laughs> it's like, you know, that's, that's what we do. And we fix upon Christ. Right? Because they're not listening and just legalistically, you know, locking the door and everything is one thing. But lovingly turning to God and living for him is quite another We are not to live in the passions of our flesh. We are to live for the will of God. We are to forsake error and serve the Lord. Verse 17 states this, And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I love that. If we abide in the world, if that be our choice, then we should, we should understand that it will pass away. All of our dreams, all of our passions, all the things that we believe in will be gone one day, for it is not eternal. The only one who is eternal, who holds everlasting life and shares it through his son and no one else, offers us life. that we would abide in God through Christ. You know, the world is passing away. It will not last, and one day it will face judgment. And we who trust in Christ find our lives hidden in him, and we will find fulfillment in personally dwelling with God through our ups and downs and through it all. And so in that, we now offer hope to those outside of the household that they may too have life and as John states in the first part of John that they may have fellowship with us and that they may have fellowship with the Son and the Father because apart from them there is no life and in him we can have life abundant life in the presence of the Good Shepherd John goes on in verse 18 And this is the fun part because we get to the end of days a little bit, right? You know, just a little teaser trailer. <laughs> you know, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. And therefore we know it is the last hour. And we need to be aware 
of what is in the world. That yes, one day the, the Antichrist will appear. He's the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And along with him, seven years of great tribulation. He will come and make peace upon the earth and then war and everything. Book of Revelation. We understand that that will take place. But in this world, there are many antichrists John talks about. Ones who stand against the Lord, his will, his way, and his, his word. Jesus spoke of it like this. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. These last days will be times of difficulty where people will come scoffing. People will follow their ungodly passions. You know, there's always the question, you know, do you believe we're in the last days? I'm like, well, you know, it looks like it. You know, ever since Jesus left, it's like, yeah, he's coming back one day. And that's the constant expectation and hope. And we know that the rapture, the, the catching up, right? That's, that's the word. You know, the rapture is not in the Bible, but ca caught up is the word, is the theological phrase that, you know, rapture comes from. That the church will be caught up, the bride will be caught up. This is our constant expectation as we live day to day. And that is true of this age until he comes, right? Until we are caught up. John is telling us that this is our last hour because the enemy is about misleading as many people as he can now. And one day he will be unrestrained. And his great wrath will come in the form of the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, the, the beast That is why we are called to be in the world and not of it. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays for the church like this. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You know, that we would be kept from the evil one. That we would love God and be his workmanship. That we would live for him in the here and now. John goes on in verses 19 and 20, writing this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. Now, throughout this letter, John has marked out big, bold lines for the house. Joy, the standard of holiness being God himself, you know, not you know, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson or you know, Mr. and Mrs. Pugh Sitter, you know, it's, it's God is the standard and who we run towards. The fact that we live for an advocate and not for ourselves in Christ Jesus. The truth of that we are called to love one another. And now he states this. Those that don't listen and leave 
show it plainly that they are not a part of us, right? And in context, he's, he's talking about those people that are hearing the truth, rejecting the truth, and are being anti-Christ, right? And we'll talk about that in a couple sermons from now about confessing the Son and really that standard of truth, that they show it plainly that they are not a part of us. As I've read this verse throughout my journey and I've heard different interpretations, I've wondered about it, its context and you know how it applies. How, how do we apply this? I think first and foremost, it needs to be seen you know, rightly. How do we look at Scripture? That's always a good you know, context is king, right? Jesus is king, and then in Bible reading, context is king. You know? But first and foremost, we need to ask this question. Are they drawing themselves to other gods? You know, what are they seeking after? What are they being about? And that's Deuteronomy 13, 13. It's actually a really good verse that I found as I was studying that. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, what are you seeking? Well, you know, me, myself, I, I make my own reality. I'm like, Boop. sounds like you got a God, but you're not him. So you need to, you need to repent. <laughs> and then the next question is, are they twisting things to draw people after themselves? That's an indicator of what John is dealing with in 1 John, is that there's these groups, there's these things that are propelling or grasping at the church to, to get them to believe this or that. You know, to, oh, no, it, it, it means this. And they'll take, you know, a lot of cults and occults will take, they'll use verses just like Satan does when he tempts Jesus, but they will use them out of context. And they'll say, this is what God meant when he said this. And then you read the context and you're like, no, <laughs> right? You know, that's why context matters. Don't just quote a Bible verse, right? You ever hear that saying? You know, don't, don't just quote a Bible verse, quote the context. Even if you're there for the whole book, you know, just, just read the whole thing. Now, these are indicators. Are they drawing themselves other gods? Are they twisting things to draw people after themselves? These are indicators to show us if they have left the household or just, you know, maybe the question is, have they left the room of our fellowship? Because that's, that's the point that I kind of wanted to, you know, talk about for a minute because I feel like this verse has been misused through time of like, well, they've, they've left us. So they've left Jesus. And it's like, well, they might just be in the household and they're moving on and they need, they need somewhere to plug in and have that fellowship. You know, there's definitely those indicators. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this subject in the book, Mere Christianity. And as he's making his statement of why he's making this argument for just a mere Christianity, he states it like this. It is more like a hallway out of which doors open into several rooms. If you can bring anyone into the hallway, sorry, if I can bring anyone into the hallway, I have done what I have attempted. And that's his argument, right? I'm just, hey, this is the house. Get through the threshold and, you know, pick your door, right? You know, pick, you know. That's what he's attempting to do with the book and the radio broadcast. During World War II, it was actually broadcast by the BBC. That's so cool, right? Soldiers, sailors, and men of the United Kingdom actually heard C.S. Lewis on the radio during all of that time of trials and tribulations during World War II. <clears throat> you 
but he has attempted to bring them into the hallway. And then he states this, but it is the, in the rooms, not the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. John is stating that if people disagree with what it means to follow Jesus, then they show themselves that they are not a part of the household. They're not even past the threshold because they're not agreeing. They're not confessing the son, as he talks about later in 1 John. No, they have, they have shown themselves to be a part of the world. Lewis is telling us that there are many rooms. You, know, you ever hear the joke, you know, the, the Baptist is in heaven and he's, you know, taking the tour and, you know, oh no, no, it was a Presbyterian. Sorry, yeah, it's a Presbyterian friend that told me this. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, the Presbyterian's going through and, you know, it's like, yeah, the, you know, the, oh yeah, the Anglicans and everything. And, oh, what's behind that door? Oh, that's the Baptist. Don't tell them anybody else is here, right? No? Not funny? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Bad timing. You know, but there are many rooms within the house full of fires, chair, and meals. Fellowship is found here. Theology is deepened. Love is found. You let us not simply state, hey, if they're, not, if they're not with us, if they're not in our fellowship, then they're against Jesus. It's like, no, let's, hey, make sure, right? Are you in the household? You know, there's different kind of questions to ask than that, Right? but to make sure, you know, to bring it up and to make it biblical conversations of, of other denominations that we rub shoulders with and to see where they are in their standing. Because it all comes down to the souls, right? As we've talked about before, souls are going to grow in Christ or they're going somewhere else. Souls are going to know Christ or they're going somewhere else. Souls are going to be a workmanship Together, shining on a hill, or sitting in darkness. And that's why we are told to pray for those that have gone out. Pray for those that have chosen. That they would choose differently. That they would not choose the hill of curses, but the hill of blessing. That they would follow the Lord and find fellowship, even, that, even if it be in another room. I think a big portion of it is that in the context of the first century, it was a lot easier, you know, because there was one church in that one lady's house, and that was it. <laughs> the church now is full of first and second Baptists and third community something, right? But the standard has never changed. We... If we're in Christ Jesus, we have unmerited favor and we are established by God in Christ and he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. All right, and not some kind of guarantee that a used car salesman gives you, but a guarantee from almighty God because it's God residing in us. Those in Christ are his possession, are his workmanship. And all of this has been done by the Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in him we have knowledge, knowledge of the Holy One. In Christ we have peace. Jesus states it like this. And turn your Bibles with me to John 14.
with the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. <coughs> Jesus states it like this. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Let your hearts not be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Or the psalm, I can't remember which psalm it is, right? But the psalmist is actually writing to his heart. And he says, hope in God. It's like sometimes you just get, hey, you, <laughs> stop it. Stop it with the feelings and the anxiety and everything. And be mindful of what the Lord God has done. There's a lot of books like that. You know, it's a note to self and um, experiencing the Trinity by Joe Thorne. Uh, really good little books that, you know, it just notes to self. It's just, hey, you know, you're, you're lacking in this, you're lacking in that. Live for him. You know, we, the church, can live in this awesome peace. And if you want to turn a few more pages in John 16, John 16, 33, right? Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you have you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. And I always love giving out the definition of tribulation. It means great trouble. You know, great trouble in little China. You know? But take heart. I have overcome the world. It's an amazing thing. Because we can live in that peace because of the victory found in Christ Jesus. That the work has been done. And now we can rest in it and walk with him. And then we get this awesome privilege as, as John is writing this letter and pouring it forth to call others to come, to be that witness, to be that city shining on the hill and saying, he, the Lamb of God, has come for all of us. You know, be that inside the room, be that outside in the hallways, I think we'll, we'll see that as we go on is there's a lot of evangelical Christians or even, you know, others that are just camping in the hallway. It's like, yeah, they're a part of Christ, but they have no home. And as the author of Hebrews states, it's like, let us not forsake the assembly. Let us come together as the drawing of the day draws near, right? Because we need each other. We need fellowship you know, be that inside the room or outside in the hallway or outside of the household entirely far away from God, we proclaim God's love for all and point to the Lamb of God who was slain for them as a ransom. Let's close in a word of prayer. Well, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for just the, the big, bold lines that John draws. That is just like Joshua saying, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers beyond the river or the Lord God. Let us resound in our households. Let us resound in our souls that we will choose. And then as we make it known by the ordinances, by baptism or communion, that we are with him and we proclaim him together. 
as a light shining on the hill, that we would stoke the fire together, Lord, that we would love people, that we'd love souls, because every single one of us matter to you, God, because we are bearing your image, and you want us home. You, like the father in the story of the prodigal son who waits and runs to the sinners and, and throws grace over them that come back, that come to their senses and, and come back home. And you want us all home, Lord. Help us be on mission with you, Lord. Help us seek out your will and way and, and be about knowing your word. And thank you so much for the snow that reminds us that though our sins are like scarlet, red as scarlet, in you, Christ Jesus, they can be made as white as snow. And we can be bathed in grace. And we can live in it and rest in it and call others to know him. And that we would know him better. That as it said, that we would go further in and further up. That we would know you more and more each and every day and walk with you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time to just open up your scripture and to study. Thank you for this time to fellowship and to pray with one another and pray for one another. And we do lift up surgeries. We do lift up those traveling. We do lift up those hurting in the hospital. And we just pray Pray, Lord, that we would be about aiming to please you in this life until we see you face to face. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.